0: Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast, whether you're in the gym, you're walking your dog, you're on your commute, you're very welcome and thank you for being part of this amazing community. Today I'm delighted to be chatting to Bill Ekstrom and he's the CEO and founder of Excel Institute. In 2008, Bill established Excel Institute to fill the void he witnessed and personally experienced in the coaching and leadership profession within business. But since then, Excel's research and improvement programming has also been utilised in the athletic and academic worlds, spawning his new startup, Excel Sports and Excel Education. He's been on the TEDx stage in 2017 and again in 2022, where he shared his research and experiences in renowned talks that have been viewed by almost 5 million people throughout the world. The Bill has co-authored the book, The Coaching Effect. He's a regular guest on podcast radio shows and has been featured in Forbes and Inc. magazines. His work as a keynote speaker is highly regarded throughout the world, and he's proud of the fact that his material is based on Excel, science, and research. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Bill Ekstrom. Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. I think you might be the first person that we've had from Nebraska, so I'm very excited to, to welcome you to the UK. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story today.
1: Oh, thank you, Mark. Uh, as we mentioned, I, um, I... Hopefully, I'll set the bar high enough for being the first person from Nebraska. But uh, any time I've been able to work or or have an experience with somebody from the UK, it's just been wonderful. So I'm excited for today.
0: Fantastic. So tell us Excel in a nutshell, in terms of sports, in terms of education, in terms of that journey, where was the genesis from that and, and, and how has it sort of developed into where you are today?
1: Uh, okay. Well, Mark, thank you for asking that question. Uh, so, for a long time, for over a decade, Excel uh, Excel Institute, the, the parent company, we've really worked at, at taking a research approach to all of our, everything. We're, we're a research-based company. And we've quantified, we've been able to figure out how to quantify the impact a leader has on the growth and performance of their teams in business. And um, then through just no real um, marketing tactic of our own or strategic tactic, uh, uh, sports, athletic departments started reaching out. And I think it was probably, well, it it started post my first TED talk. uh, And they were wanting to know, hey, if, what you're doing in business, if you can quantify the impact a leader has on the performance of a team at work, can you do it in athletics? Can you help us understand the impact a coach has on the experience of athletes? So we that's how we got pulled into the sports arena. And then uh, a very forward-looking school superintendent after studying our work and reading our book, what's called The Coaching Effect, um, came forward and said, okay, if you're doing this in business and you're doing this in sports, can you help us understand the impact teachers are having on the experience of students in a classroom? So that's how we then were brought into the world of education. And so um, the beautiful part of all that is what we thought, We would see, we did see, which is about 90% of what it takes to be a great leader in business creates the same sports coaching acumen and the same impact teachers have on a classroom. About 90% cut across of those behaviors cut across the board. So,
0: and in so many ways, that doesn't surprise me because so much that I hear here on the podcast, and you know life at large is the fact that it's all about that human to human connection. It's about the 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 conversations you have, it's about seeing the other person. It's about an effect you have by a conversation and an interest, uh, 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 an off the cuff comment sometimes, which just kind of means that I see you, you see me. There's there's something here more than, like say, just um a, a passing comment. That there's a, there's a personal issue here, which is is something which I think people really warm to. So it doesn't surprise me that it's the same type of thing across across that that sort of those different fields, as it were. Um, in In terms of sort of understanding what makes um a great leader from that point of view, do you always have to sort of bring it back to sort of data in terms of we know this has now been positive because it looks like this or is it a little bit more like say that kind of that personal idea and less data driven but actually the results come much more kind of um ethereally (laughs) is is it were because it creates um it creates an environment it creates um a situation it creates a team it creates a community what's sort of the difference between those sort of two things
1: Uh, all right so I'm going to uh, answer that in the way I think I heard it and to make sure if I I don't answer your question the way you worded it, um, uh, we'll come back to it. So we do use a data-driven approach, but here's what's interesting is, for example, when it comes, this cuts across business, athletics, and education. Now keep in mind in education, We are measuring, in sports, we're measuring the student experience that coaches and teachers provide. But what creates a positive experience for students is the same that creates a growth environment for people in business. So having said all that, We use a data approach to understand things like relationship. So believe it or not, we can actually quantify the strength of the trust-based connections teachers have to students in a classroom or have created with students in a classroom or coached to their student-athletes. so the things that everybody used to think, and I think that's what you're alluding to, were perhaps soft skills yep, yep. are no longer soft skills. They're only soft because you couldn't measure them. Now we can quantify them. We can quantify the amount of psychological safety teachers provide in a classroom or coaches provide in a team environment. So we do take a data-driven approach, Mark, but only... You know, I shouldn't say only, but we use that approach to measure the things that create these environments that you're talking about. That that create a connection that that allows me to to be in a safe space,
0: for example.
1: So, is that what you were asking?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and 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 also just sort of further from that. Like you said, you are able to quantify that now. So what what does that look like when you're sort of explaining to somebody? You know, this is what we're seeing, and this is how we're able to describe it to you.
1: Um. So, we we when we quantify, we uh, there are six themes in whether it's business, sports, or education. There are six themes that teachers, coaches, and leaders. Um, we can align to their behavior and know that either creates a great student experience and a growth environment um, or it doesn't. And teachers, coaches, leaders either propel growth of students and, and, and business people or they, you know, uh, withhold it. They, they, they block it, right? Right. Um, and I think sometimes that's how we have to think of ourselves, whether I'm in the working world or the business world, the business world or the educational world or athletic world, is do I propel growth or do I inhibit it? And um, what we've learned through our research is there are three primary themes and then within those six sub-behavioral themes and, and one of the primary themes is a the relationship theme which is the most foundational to any growth and performance or experience that we're providing. And, um, within that relationship, there are two things we measure measure your teacher's ability to create trust based connections and create a psychologically safe environment. Um, then we measure what we call within an order theme. We measure communication, and structure, and those are very, very important behavioral themes that, that teachers and coaches provide, and the last being what we call a complexity theme, and, and we'll just rethink, think of that as, a, as more of a challenge theme, but it's their ability to challenge students and develop their skills. So there's six primary themes that all teachers and coaches and business leaders that, you know, they all have connections. Now, whether or not those connections are effective, that, that varies by coach. So we report back on the data and what we call uh, just uh, those theme scores, and they're on a scale of one to 100. And the average, to give you an example, uh, in education, what we're seeing, the average ability of uh, teachers to create a trust connection with their students averages about a 65. In sports, it's a 72, I think. Um, And and sadly, in, in both sports and education, the that relationship, the overall relationship theme of the three primary themes is the lowest. So, and I Thank could you. go on and on and on, but
0: yeah, I mean, do you think that's because I'm just trying to think there in terms of when you're in business, you know, there, are, you know, your job's on the line, your livelihood's on the line, you know, the. You know, the people in the leadership role are trying to get the best out for the, the best of the company and and the people who are in, in their jobs are wanting to sort of keep their jobs and, and, and hopefully do the best for the company based on like say how those leaderships are coming through. The difference in an education setting is that sense that there may well be a lot of students there who aren't interested in learning or being in school and part of the, the education job is to kind of maybe inspire that and, and to bring that through. So you haven't got necessarily everyone on the same page and even in a you know let's say a class of three, 30 you might have 20 that are but 10 that aren't and therefore that's going to sort of change change that and I, and I and i guess the coaching point of view is sort of somewhere in between because if they've got onto a team you want to do the best for the team but then there might be some some reason why like say the scores are, are, are lower than the others but but more than the education side
1: yeah so um and while for example in in the world of sports the 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 relationship theme scores are the lowest of the three primary themes, you know, uh, connection and psych safety are the two lowest. It's the same in education. Um, in business, it's not, which is interesting because in so many ways, um, the world of sports is so much more advanced than business and education, but sometimes it's it's the reverse. For example, one of the things we found in working in education is what we call um, the fun factor, and and if teachers don't make learning fun, that has a huge impact on the engagement and the experience students have. So we thought, okay, let's. Does this really matter in business? Because I get, you know, I'm getting a paycheck, right? If I'm if I work for you, Mark. Uh, fun or not, I got to perform my job, right? Well, then what we discovered, it had a huge influence in business as well. So we're learning things from the classroom um, that we didn't know in business and vice versa, of course. So while the scores in in education are lower, they're still relative uh, to 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 the world of sports, for example. But here's back to the concept, the theory, is in a classroom, I probably have somewhere between 15 and 30 students. And I've got multiple of those, depending on how how the scheduling works throughout the day. Teachers, in order to score well, and we see teachers that score in the 90th percentile and about 96th percentile in, in relationship scores, are way more intentional about it. And it's because it's more challenging to do it when I have 25 in a room versus just seven direct reports in the business world. That means I have to work harder at it than I do if I'm in the working world. And teachers that acknowledge that and are willing to do that do score well. Their students do um, uh, just talk about what a better experience it is in their classroom. So I think it's just sheer numbers, uh, Mark, versus any is, uh, there could be some uh, psychographic differences as well. But I just think more than anything, it's a number standpoint.
0: Yeah, and I think really trying to, like you say, connect with that number of people. And especially <laughs> when, the, the, like you say, they might be um, reticent to do it, or, or like you say, the fact that actually it's not just 15 or 30 like you said it's 15 or 30 and then another 15 or 30 then another like you say through through, throughout the day so you're talking maybe a few hundred over the course of a week that you're having to engage with so that i guess that that real knowledge of of who you are and how you're connecting with so many different people just maybe opens up that skill set a bit more than like say if it's just a regular small number that you're doing you're seeing on a a daily or weekly basis
1: yeah and and what's what's interesting exactly what you described that makes it so much more challenging but it doesn't take away the importance of connection and creating psychologically safe environments so it's just harder to do but teachers are doing it which we find wonderful
0: and and that idea of of psychological safety is that in terms of failure is important, we're happy for you to give it a go, Um, a sense of, you know, no matter what happens here, we've all got each other's backs, and we're all have that sort of either growth mindset or that ability to want to learn. Is that kind of what you mean by that?
1: It it, it is it's um, psychological safety is creating an environment where I'm free to be my authentic self without fear of negative consequences. So, from um, and it in, encompasses more than just the teacher. Now, like connection, I can feel unconnected to my classmates, but I can feel connected to the teacher. Psych safety encompasses the entire environment. Now, we know the teacher has the biggest impact on that environment. But yeah, do I feel free to ask questions without being ridiculed by classmates? Um, Do I feel safe to try something new and different? You know, in the world of sports, uh, do I want the ball in my end? Do I want the ball at the end of the match? Do I want to be the one that's, that's doing the penalty kick? Or do I feel safe enough? to, to want to be that no matter what happens, then I'm not going to, my coach, my teammates aren't going to dislike me or impugn me. So, right. It's, it's not an abuse thing. And I think too often people think psychological safety, that's abusive. No, it's, it's everything from, you know, and, and again, how does my coach respond when the umpire referee makes a bad call? When they lose their mind or if they get angry, uh, people will think, well, they didn't get angry at me and I'm on the team. But what happens psychologically is we see that anger come out and we think to ourselves subconsciously or even consciously, perhaps, as I hope they never turn that anger on me. And so now, in order so I I don't want that to happen, I'm going to play it safe. And we see the same in the classroom. If I'm impugned by asking a question or getting something wrong, how am I treated? How am I responded to?
0: And I think that really takes us it takes us back to that kind of the ability of the teacher to connect with every child, doesn't it? Because I think what you said there is really important. It's like I can be safe asking my teacher something. I know they've got my back. But I know that, you know, John, who's sitting just across the, 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 the table from me, he's always going to be saying something which it doesn't really fill me with that sense of feeling like i can be authentic here because there's something there which 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 doesn't work for me but i guess that's where you sort of almost have this triangle because if, if the teacher's empowering the John, the, the, the person who's, who's who can be their best self and want to be singing off that hymn sheet, then they're less likely to be kind of making that impact on the other children as well. So that kind of whole community sort of feeds on each other, and and like I say, that's I guess where those teachers become so important.
1: Yeah, yeah, and w- one of the things we see when and it's interesting because we see it in in business, in athletics, and in classroom teachers that create this kind of environment they, they have like they'll have up, up on their whiteboards or, or publish three or four class values that they always live by and that all the students are, are asked to live by and it's in, and they, they show that and they refer to it and the students haven't memorized and athletes haven't memorized. Um, and teachers that really instill that, that's one of the ways they begin to create those really healthy, uh, psychologically safe environments.
0: And tell us a little bit about the difference between sort of the, the, the coach and the teacher in as much as it's, it's um, I guess, a little bit more single focus, because if the coach is there doing football, um then everyone on the team is wanting to be involved in football whereas the teacher that's teaching maths might not have a group of um mathematicians in the classroom that they're wanting to do do you sort of see any difference in in sort of those those sort of um th- things that you were talking about in terms of them as as a theme or or in terms of of how people react
1: uh we don't see differences mark in the themes so you know connection psych safety structure Communication, skill development, challenge—those themes are consistent. The the it's the psychographic of the people. So if I'm if I'm playing football, uh, wh- whether it's U.S. football or or, or <laughs> you know U.K. football, right? Um, it's usually it's what I have opted into. I have elected to try out or join a team. In education, I usually don't have a say, uh, you know, up, up through 12th grade or up up before people go to university, I don't have a say in my teacher or my class. And so while the themes are the same, the attitude of the person coming in can be substantially different, you know, um, if my daughter, who was a very, very creative type, you know, she didn't have any choice. She had to take math in spite of the fact, you know, which was good for her, right? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm glad she did. But it was very challenging. That's where she had to focus so much of her energy and mental energy and effort was to work through math because that's not how her brain worked. Um, and, and so to for her to be as engaged in math as she was in, say, art, completely different <laughs> uh, but the themes were the same
0: and and I guess that's where I was just thinking there. You sort of have to take another step back because then it's not just about the teacher; it's about the school environment, or 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 as parents, you know, the, the sort of the community around any given person or any given child. Because, you know, the, some of those themes you were talking about become relevant because this isn't what you want to do, or not something that you elected, but it's something you have to do. But how that then balances, like I say, with with a different subject which you are into, or whether it's a sport, or or whether it's something which is sort of outside the curriculum that you can put your energies into and you sort of see how all these things fit together. So it sort of becomes a, like a community coaching and leadership thing at that stage just to support children as best you possibly can.
1: It, Mark, that is so well said um, and and very good of you to pick up on that because we also um, measure and quantify the administrative level because that's where it begins. Um, A superintendent or somebody, a principal's, you know, headmasters, they can't go to teachers and say, I want A, B, C, and D in your classrooms, but not live that themselves. And so you're right. To create that in a classroom, quite frankly, it's got to start up there. And one of the things we do and quantify is how do, you know, administrators treat their teachers? And the same themes apply there that it does in the classroom. So a principal can't say, hey, well, they can, they can say anything they want, but say, okay, we want you to have create trust connections with your students. We want you to create these psychologically safe environments. But oh, by the way, we don't do that for you. You can't, you it's really challenging to create adverse, healthy micro-environments in an unhealthy overall environment. So you're right, Mark. It begins at the very top, and it trickles all the way down to the students.
0: And I love that idea of of trickling. and. Do you have any sense of of a time scale of that because it's a little bit if we go back to the sort of the coaching side of things you know you see another manager coming into a to a side they've been struggling for a while they've got rid of the last two or three coaches someone comes in and changes everything and it's not normally overnight it it, it takes a while for it to be embedded and then they bring people in whether it's staff whether it's new players whether it's an ethos whatever it happens to be and you start to see those results change as a result of, of, of all those things is there kind of um an idea of how long that takes or is it literally a question of of the impact that they have and how quickly that can kind of talk, uh, turn things around maybe not the right phrase but you understand what i mean
1: Well, that's a powerful question uh, markets i i don't we don't have any research first of all on how long it takes and um and I think there's there's several items that usually somebody is, unless there's a voluntary departure. So let's say you get a great coach who decides that, hey, you know, I'm just going to retire at the top, I'm, you know, and they're gone. But if, if, the, if the opposite is true, if, if they're there if there's new there because culture needs to shift because it hasn't been a growth culture or a high performance culture, it depends the time it takes to evolve to a healthy one is really dependent on two items. Number one, that coaches or teachers willingness to change. But number two, and this is where, and I'm not, this is not a plug, but this is what we do. Where do I need to change? And this is the, this is what's so important, I believe, is why I'm so passionate about our work in all of those three sectors, is if I'm a leader and I want better results for my team, it starts with me. It's not about the kids in my classroom. It's not about my athletes not performing. They're not performing or they're not testing well, or, or or they're not making enough money in business, that's because of me as their leader, as their coach, as their teacher. And if I don't know, though, where I'm strong and my opportunities, you know, where I'm weak, in essence, my opportunities for growth, where do I put my efforts and energy? For example, if my kids, whether it's in sports or, or, or education, aren't performing, aren't growing. They're not engaging, right? Is it because my connection score is low? Is it because I have a poorly structured classroom or team environment? Is it because I'm not challenging them to grow? You know, so I think there's multiple items. Uh, number one, there is the willing overall willingness of a coach to shift, And the more willing they are to shift it to more positive ways, the adaption curve tightens or or drops. But the other is knowing where to improve. So it's hard to get the latter with, or or the former without the latter.
0: Yeah. And I think the way you put it there makes it so clear, isn't it? Because you can have those conversations about, about those things. So, it's not about the fact that you didn't do well in this piece of homework, or it's not about the fact that you know you missed this pass. It's the fact that we didn't do all this stuff further back, which enabled you to want to study or to want to put the time in to get that skill higher, to feel like you could you could do it because you knew. Like I say, you're then in that safe environment, and so it's interesting sort of how far back you have to wind in in order to see all that and then also to be able to articulate it so clearly to the people that you're you're leading like say whether you're an educator or or a coach or in business that you can kind of get that across and i guess people respond most importantly when you're able to show it and you you demonstrate it you know that kind of real mentoring of kind of i'm doing it like this and also i can see I can do this better, and therefore people start to feel like, well, I can do all sorts of things better. So let's you know, let's go on that journey together. And I guess that's where the whole system sort of pulls together, and the ethos seems to sort of really start to grow.
1: Yeah, Mark. That, again, R- was well said. The it's so often that it's the always the outcomes that get the attention. You know, uh, wins and losses in sports. Right? How much money we make in business? Test scores for students. Um, but we believe, and, and what you're referring to is what's the root cause of that outcome? What produces that outcome? That's where we need to focus. And, and more than anything, you know, if if anybody's listening to this, take this away from you. The number one area or top two areas you, you need to focus. Are on trust connections in creating psychologically safe environments. Those two have the strongest relationship to growth and performance than any of the other things we measure. Now, shortly beh- behind that is what we call challenge, and that's one of the things I think uh, we see in in all in, in all these realms of work is, you know, growth doesn't occur unless I'm in a state of discomfort. And teachers and coaches and leaders all have a responsibility to create healthy discomfort for their kids so they can grow. So anyway, yeah, we could keep there's a lot of places we can go with that, but
0: Yeah, I, I think I think that's I think that's really true. And I think I've had conversations on the podcast before about sort of fearless leaders. Um and, and by that it's the kind of, you know, the government has said we need to test like mad we need to do this we, the outcomes really important um, and the fearless ones go that's okay and we appreciate that we don't have any choice in, in that being measured and people are going to come in and, and look at that for us but we know if we if we have a strong sports department if, if we're really focused on the arts if we create the environments that we know are really important for people to be creative and to feel safe we know the rest of it will take care of itself but it takes a lot of kind of sort of knowledge understanding and, and right what
1: creates that environment that you yeah. just that word right what creates yeah. that environment and environments you know um, I, I do a lot of talking and in, in, in keynotes and stuff on environments but you're right environments either um there are growth environments what we call complex environments and they're ordered environments and that's, your, that's where the focus needs to be, is what is it that creates the growth environments for the students. And we know in a classroom setting, the teacher has the biggest impact on that environment.
0: Because the, the flip side of all of that is the fact that we need to make sure that child A gets a better mark in maths than they did last semester or last year and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna make sure they do three times as much of that (laughs) which we know you know a little bit like we need to make sure this person gets the pass right of a higher percentage of time so we're just gonna practice and practice and practice and that does work to an extent but it doesn't create the magic it doesn't create the situation where there's a free-flowing authenticity about how they're going to do that and it doesn't give people the freedom in order to to achieve those things in a a, a natural setting and I I think so many people have only experienced that kind of we're gonna hit the nail even harder and more often in order to try and get there because we've seen people do that the cost of that you know teacher burnout and well-being and mental health and all of that kind of stuff is massive but yet we still keep doing the same thing and and what you're talking about the complete opposite which is you know such a, a positive way of going about about it and a way of being able to understand it. I just think it's why these conversations are so important, because so many people either don't know about it, or they don't have enough time or the ability to believe in it, within an environment to kind of make that a, a reality and to see it being a reality in enough places to, to say no, this is where we're going. And this is why it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, it, what, what you're describing are um, a love based environment, you know, where or or that environment can create you can create growth environments and, and performance environments that are love based. You can do them fear-based. You can do them formal authority, right? I'm a teacher, you're a student, I'm a coach, you're a player. I'm your boss, a manager at work, you're an employee, right? You go do A, B, and C and you can get people to execute. You can get, like you said, you can hammer it home. You get if I just through repetition, I can get my daughter to know math better. But what about the, creating the environment that promotes learning as opposed to doing homework? That's what you're describing. And that's where um, those are typically created through
0: love. Yeah, and that's and that's probably not a conversation that happens in many CPD sessions around the around the world, and certainly in terms of of education. But I guess th- therein maybe we've pinpointed some kind of uh, shift that that, that that might be that might be helpful. But um, and, and I love the fact that's why i love doing the podcast because you know it, it brings this kind of CPD ideas. You know, let's take that to someone. You know, we've heard this on on a podcast. Let's let's take that to my my leadership and my principal and just say. You know, I'm I'm liking what I'm hearing in those scenarios. You know? <laughs> let's go, right? let's go and read this book. Let let's go and listen to this TED Talk. You know, let us see exactly where this can take us and, and make that shift.
1: Yes, yes, that's right. And and that's like we just gets back to what we mentioned. Earlier, top down. What is the superintendent doing? What is a headmaster doing? The principal doing to promote and uh, to, to emulate what I would like to see in our classrooms?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in terms of your school experience, or or a teacher that you remember, is there one that's had a big impact that you can remember, but also probably more importantly, is there one that maybe has influenced you in terms of, of what you're now able to do and replicate within your work and, and share with people? Uh,
1: yes, Mark. Um, it, it, keep in mind, I was a horrible student, and, and I have to preface it by saying school is really a struggle for me. Um, I was told by some teachers I would not amount to anything. Uh, I was kicked out of the school in the seventh grade. Um, I was brought up for expulsion, be, not because I was a mean person. I was, by today's standards, I would be considered behaviorally disordered. Um, but I, I did, I, I was lucky to have a, a few teachers, one of which the most memorable, and his name was Mr. Yankee. Uh, eighth grade for me and um, following a very bad, bad prior seventh grade year, I was fortunate enough, lucky enough to have this gentleman as my, what we called back then, core classes so all the core learnings I spent more hours with him in a day than I did on my other teachers and Mr. Yankee changed my life, he, he made me believe that I wasn't dumb he made me believe that we could have a relationship, but yet still have uh, respect in the classroom. I remember when one student made a comment said something one time or made a comment or asked a question in class, and I snickered and made some stupid remark. and uh, and instead of calling me out in front of the classroom at the end of class, he said, "Hey, Bill, stick around for a minute." and I did. And he after the class, he and I visited, and he told me how, Disrespectful, that was to make that student not feel like they could say something like that in the classroom. And that in, in his classroom, we wanted to treat each other just like we—I would want to be treated. And it was—I don't remember all the specifics, but he created. He made number one. He made me feel wanted and needed. He made me feel like I was important. He got to know me. He knew I was into sports. He asked about my questions. You know, he asked me questions about my life outside of the classroom. And he made me want to treat others the same way. And um, from that point on, he set the standard. And the downside of that for me, of having him as a teacher, I expected every teacher I had from that point forward to behave like Mr. Yankee did. And none of them did.
0: And, and, and that just takes us beautifully full circle in, in that sense of, you know, that's exactly what we've been talking about today and sort of describing those those themes and, and how they come through. And I, and I think, <laughs> and like you say, you you want every principal to be created in these environments to support teachers. And we know that's not always the case. And, and like you say, it's just, it's getting more of those things in and getting even more, more of that support where it needs to be. And, and everyone just remembers that person that made them feel different. But like you say, with all of those themes and those understandings of what makes that 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 difference in how you go about having those conversations which i yeah i love so much um what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given or is there a piece of advice maybe you give your your younger bill now sort of looking back and i always sort of slightly preface this with the fact that when we're younger we don't necessarily take the advice that people want to give us but but you understand what i mean
1: uh mark it's funny because uh, our team meetings at work um always somebody is always uh, in charge of having what we call the opening question. So what would, and somebody asked the other day, best piece of advice. And, uh, and I can't so much think back to that long ago, the, the best piece of advice, advice, you know, Mr. Yonke talking about the respect for others and, um, and, and just, you know, his overall environment was, was moving and life changing to me. But the most recent that, that now I look back and wish, and I think we all wish, you know, it's interesting. If we can't look back on our lives and think and cringe at some of the things we have done or said, we probably haven't evolved. Um, and I wish I had had this earlier, but it is it came from a gentleman um, who I never met. His name is Dr. Victor Frankl. And he's an Austrian psychiatrist, wrote the one of the all-time best-selling books called Man's Search for Meaning, uh, spent two years in a concentration camp and lived through it. But he says between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And so it's my moving that space that we all have we all anytime there's a stimulus right i don't need to respond right away it's better conscious use of that space in my life right now is what i do somebody says something to me i don't need to respond right away i can use the space
0: and and what just struck me then is the fact that one of the biggest gifts I think I could probably do for myself is actually working out how to extend that space to the amount of time it needs to be. Because like you say, the knee-jerk reaction is never what you, you want to be doing. But sometimes it's just a thought. Like I say, sometimes it takes a bit more consideration. And I think, yeah, that that's such an incredibly powerful thing. And, and uh, it's certainly an amazing book. I know it's a really, really powerful. Um and, and speaking of resource, is there is there a podcast, a book, a video film, song, or something which has had a big impact on your life? And it can be professional or or personal, but something you'd like to share?
1: That book, Man's Search for Meaning, um had a significant impact on my life. Um reading about the trials and tribulations and tortures that Dr. Frankel lived through, um, losing his entire family, but yet being able to come out of that with an attitude, um, of life and love and, and, you know, I, so, so that that book, um, was very, very powerful in my life. Um, what's interesting. And, and again, the hope people don't take this the wrong way, but, uh, Powerful TED Talk is doing my first TED Talk. That was a life changer. And and I was able to, I, I was fortunate enough to get asked to, to do a TED Talk on a specific topic. Um, and in 2017, the entire journey of creating the talk, executing it on stage, and then uh, seeing the talk go viral um was life-changing as well so th- those it's funny when i think of ted talk i think of the fact that i was just lucky enough to be able to do it. And how and how that talk and it's going viral has impacted the trajectory of my life so yeah
0: um and and just on that topic then do you think it going viral was because of the things that you know and the sorts of things that you've talked about, because of the way you prepared, because of the topic, because of of how you came across in doing it, based on all of these things that we've we've, we've spoken about, or or is it just one of those things hit hit the, the right market, the right time, with enough people wanting to share?
1: Oh my, Mark, what a great question. The um... It, it's not a single thing. I, th- I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Number one, I did have the mentorship. I was lucky. This gentleman, who ran uh, the the TED uh, TEDx event in Reno, Nevada, Dr. Brett Simmons, uh, invested in me. Uh, number one. Number two, I had I hired a local speech coach who, and she was so powerful in my life. Number three. I had a team. A, I felt so psychologically safe. I had a team at work of people that were invested in just in me and helping me evolve. Um, the talk was on a topic. It was on. It's on the whole discomfort topic. It's on our research that, you know, having research on items gives you so much confidence. Uh, yeah, I prepared probably harder than any single person that gave. I don't know that, but I felt like I prepared more than any single person that did a talk at that event. Um, and uh, then there's so many, the execution of it, or meaning the the videoing of the talk, the, uh, and I know it may sound a little bit, how do they, do they focus on one of the, the slides versus just the words and bringing those, the magic of all that together? So not a single thing, but I think the stars all aligned to make it, to to allow it to go viral. Um, So, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question but
0: yeah absolutely because i think like you say it's always a combination of all of these things and i think today one of the things we've realized is that you know it's all of the themes coming together that makes the difference it's all of the the sub themes and how you respond to people and how you put yourself in those positions that that make a that make a really big difference and and just to finish off the acronym fire in terms of feedback inspiration, resilience, and empowerment are obviously really important to us here. If you had to pick one of those, which one would it be as being the most important?
1: First of all, I love that acronym. And now you're really putting me on the spot because I hate the fact that I got—I I would have to pick one. The, the the two that immediately come out are inspiration and empowerment. Um, those are the two that, that jump out at me. And... Um, and I think if I had to choose one, I would choose empowerment. Um, and, and I have to be careful there, because my job is not just to it's, it's not just to empower in the sense that help them do better things and to grow beyond what they would do without me, right? It's to help them empower their own empowerment. If that
0: makes mm. sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. It,
1: yeah, it, yeah it, it not just to empower for a circumstance, but if I can teach people how to empower themselves, wow, then we've got something.
0: Yeah. Well, what a great fitting way to end. I think I think that that paying it forward from an empowerment to an empowerment to to spread spread that. I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. So, tell people where they can find out more about you, how they can connect, how they can get involved in all the great work that you're doing.
1: Well, thank you for that opportunity, Mark. Uh, Excel is E-C-S-E-L-L. Excelinstitute.com is our website from there. You can funnel into the sports and education, various other things we do. Uh, our, our book that I co-authored with the president of our company, Sarah Worth, um, is called The Coaching Effect. And that is at all fine bookstores, Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon. You can get the coaching effect. Um, and my first TED Talk was called Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life. <laughs> and uh, that's, of course, on YouTube. I did a recent one, which is interesting. That is not at all going viral. But um, it has to do with more the, the athlete, uh, coach's impact on an ad, student-athletes. That TED Talk just came out, and I love that one. Had more fun doing that one, and it's interesting. It's not doing nearly what the other one did, which is fine. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all those places. Just look up Bill Ekstrom, E-C-K-S-T-R-O-M, and I'm sure in your show notes all that stuff will be there. But I always mm-hmm. I love to engage, and uh, please reach out. If you have any questions, just... Get, get in touch with me. I always respond.
0: Fantastic. Bill, thank you so much for sharing that. Those insights and wisdom has been a fascinating conversation. Yeah, and keep up the great work.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's been a treat.
0: Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've created 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage.